Jason, what brings us here today? Well, let's talk, this is going to be a little different. Let's talk fundamentals and kind of some of the vernacular that gets thrown around when we talk about building these things where there's certain cornerstone things that aren't really complex, but I think you have to have a base level understanding of. Yeah, I can remember when we started thinking about those base level things. I was a pretty big skeptic on automation from pretty much 2013 to 2019. Wow. Yeah, there was there was a time when you know you see people talking about automation and you kind of curl your eyes up a bit and then all of a sudden you start getting into it yourself and then that turns into huh this is actually kind of cool. Yeah. What are all these cool people actually getting into? Uh, so that, that's what changed for me is I just started playing around with it. When I think those cornerstone things can be sort of gatekeepery and not always necessarily in an intentional way, but people hear these little acronyms and that sort of thing. And it can be off putting because you can get, you can totally cruise past, you know, maybe an important thing where people aren't familiar with that. So I think today we start with what i'd say is probably the biggest like most core thing to start with i think we should talk about apis let's do it i'm jason i'm chad the internet it's all around you look to your left now look to your right how does it work we just figured it out so today we pull back the curtain on the internet we're talking about apis the thing that makes the thing you put into one thing go into the other thing that you want it to go into without having to pop quiz time chad what does api stand for application programming interface oh, okay i didn't actually know i had to google it did you really no i just thought it was zapier <laughs> What does that fear? What does that even mean? <laughs> what do you know about APIs, Chad? Explain it to me like I'm five, and then maybe after that, explain it like we're 10. Okay, I'll do the five-year-old, you do the 10-year-old. Let's see how this one goes. Okay. So if I was telling my five-year-old son about APIs, I'd examine why. I don't think he really needs to know. But if he said something like, I would really like a lot of the things that I'm doing on my iPad to send a message to my grandmother and let her know everything I did for the day, maybe you use an API to do that. And then you go back to your five-year-old and say, how are you thinking so abstractly at five years old? This is very specific. Have you had API conversations with your five-year-old? No, this is why that was so hard to do. Okay. Do you have a five-year-old? I have a six-year-old, so I was really thinking there really hard, and I couldn't, oh, I, could, I couldn't come up with one reason why I would want to talk about APIs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got a thing in one place, and you want to get it to another place, right? Yeah, I'd say that. So if you were talking to a 10-year-old, what would you say? Well, it's funny, because my oldest child is five, so we've done this all wrong. And I have a 10-year-old. <laughs> oh, this is what no prep grades. <laughs> yeah, well, I think like at the end of this, maybe we get into more of the nuts and bolts, but the explain it to me like I'm 10 version. So anytime you use an app, there's information that lives behind that app. And so you open up that app and it pulls up like, you know, say you're playing a game, like a list of high scores. That list of high scores is saved somewhere. Let's say you wanted to send the updated list of high scores to your grandma every day. How are you going to send it to your grandma? Maybe this is where it gets 10 year old. Are you going to text that to your grandma? If you are, then the system that's going to send the text message needs to understand how that top score list is stored and how to get to it. An API is basically an instruction manual for 
here's how to get this information and then you can do whatever you want with it. So in this context, it would be, how do I get this information out of the system? In other contexts, maybe it's, how do I update information or add new information to it? And the API is like that roadmap, that instruction manual. Would your 10-year-old have understood that? The whole time I was thinking about how I would change my answer for the five-year-old. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> do you have a better answer now? I'm sure what you said was really good. <laughs> I'm thinking it's like a shirt. Okay. Imagine you've got an amazing like Paw Patrol shirt over here and you've got oh like gosh. a Sonic the Hedgehog shirt over here. And you wanted to make like this amazing quilt, but like like a massive shirt. No, not a quilt, a shirt. Mm -hmm. Where you took the two different pieces of fabric, you put them together, and all of a sudden now you have something new. You have this cool new thing. So it's like the Sonic Patrol shirt. Ooh. And the API is that instruction manual, like you talked about, that combines them from two different places into one place. And now you've got this one new thing that you can show off to all your five-year-old friends. Wow. Okay, so Sonic Patrol shirt. This went down a weird place really quickly. Yeah, I don't know if that's better than the first one or not. <laughs> so beyond five and 10-year-olds, what are like common circumstances where there's API sorcery happening and you may not realize it? You work all day in messaging apps, right? Unfortunately, us too. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, it's all I do. There's a lot of sorcery in those coming from different systems. That's one. Right? Using Slack, stuff happens, calendar updates, people go on Zoom, create Zoom meetings. What are those API transactions, though? Like, What are the moments where it's like talking to an API of a specific tool or something like that? I suppose in the idea of like the calendar invite, you ever see like if you're about to go into a meeting, the time changes, so you're using Google Calendar. Google Calendar then sends a message over into Slack. It's watching for it because you've instructed Google to watch for new meetings. It receives it into Slack, changes your little emoji to in a meeting. That could be one. In that context, it's Google Calendar looking at Slack's API, and it has to do a few different things. It has to give you some sort of notification. I don't know if that's actually a message or not. And then it has to change your status, right? And Slack's API documentation gives Google Calendar the roadmap and instructions for here's how to do just that thing, right? Yep. How about you? What are some other examples you're uh, you're seeing every day? Any context in which there's like you know what the software companies will call integrations, which, as most people know, can mean a myriad of different things. But yeah, I guess any situation where you're getting data from one app to another app in an automated way, which is kind of the in many ways the whole premise of the cloud, the ability to have this like kind of woven infrastructure of all of these things that are able to talk to each other. And it's definitely better than the olden days, but doesn't always pull all that stuff together just the way you'd like it to. But in my world of, you know, managing accounting for a bunch of people, that's entering a hundred bills into a bill pay app and all those things getting pushed automatically back to the accounting system via the API of the accounting system. You know, and that's a massive time saver for us because we don't have to enter it in both systems, but it's all happening through the API in that situation of the accounting software. Very true. Maybe what makes sense from here is breaking down how an API call works in a very simple way. So a single API call is like a handoff of data from one system to that other system. And anytime you have an API call, there's kind of an agreed upon framework of exactly what one system has to give the other system in order to move that data from A to B, right? Yep. 
And that's typically done in, um, in JSON. Right. So you've got a payload, if you will, that's laid out in a very specific way. It's usually made up of, I think, four things. And you can correct me if I'm wrong or add any other seasoning here that I'm missing. So that API call has to go to a specific URL. So let's use the Google Calendar to Slack example. So in that situation, Slack would extend what you would call an endpoint. And that's a URL address where Google Calendar will send all that information to. So that Slack URL, that endpoint's just hanging out, listening for stuff. And anytime somebody throws stuff at it, it's going to take that in and process it. So you've got the URL. You've got, what, the headers? Mm-hmm. In that URL, I mean, we can be very specific and say things like, it's the status URL. It's the status URL, right? There might be a message URL. Right. There might be a create user URL. And all those endpoints exist that are just sitting there listening. That's right. So for Slack, it's not just a single URL to rule them all. It's usually going to be more granular than that. Different URLs for different jobs. So then as part of that API call, there's some sort of authentication. So who are you to get a message into Chad's Slack? Not just anybody can do that. There's usually some sort of token that's that's exchanged, a secret between those two services so that Slack knows this is a legit message coming from Google Calendar, not some evil thing trying to sneak messages into Chad's Slack. Mm -hmm. What else? The payload itself? which is like a structured data file that is, you know, maybe what exactly you want that message to say. Mm-hmm. It'll probably come with some authentication stuff in the headers too. Yeah. So you've got all the authentication stuff to make sure that you're supposed to be in there. And then what that message actually is or what that status actually should be. Basically everything that Slack needs to consume that and then make the update according to what Google Calendar has sent it. Covered it well. Some other common vernacular you see with API calls, they always come with a verb that is a descriptor of exactly what you're going to do. The four main ones you'll see are gets, G-E-T, so that's requesting information from an API. So that wouldn't really apply in this situation, but like, let's say I wanted to know what the status, what Chad's status in Slack was right now. That would be like, you would use a get for that. A post is here's a new piece of information. And so in the situation of the Google Calendar, that's probably a post. Put is sometimes used to update existing information and then delete is exactly what it sounds like. And that's kind of the anatomy of an API call. Like you said, it's going to a specific URL. It's a JSON, J-S-O-N file that's structured in a very specific way. And historically, this has been something that, you know, programmers will do, but, you know, through services, we use like Zapier or Integromatter Make or that sort of thing. They actually now give you a, a UI to take the grunt work out of structuring those files and that sort of thing. I don't know about you, but that's how I learned. Yeah. I don't think if we went the coding route or the developer route, yeah, it would be too much, I think, to take on. Even just the idea of post versus get probably took a few days to figure out which one to use when. And then in certain circumstances, you'll learn that maybe those aren't the only two that fit. I think about working with Webflow and Zapier and some other tools where they throw at you this thing where you have to use another method called patch. Patch? What is patch? I don't know. <laughs> but it typically does partial modifications. Oh. And you're like, okay, patch. Patch it is. And you see people using it and you're like, great a new piece of information to add to your you know, utility belt when it comes to working with certain tools. But I think that's the beauty is that once you get into these UI tools, 
you don't have to be a programmer to really understand it. You can pick the things and start really small by authenticating. Once you've authenticated, it's such a cool feeling that first time when you press the play button or you, you send something over and it actually works. Like, huh, I can get behind this. Yeah. Well, I guess we kind of cruise past anytime you make an API call, you're going to get a response. And in my case, for a very long time, that response was always an error code that said you didn't do this right. Me too. But if you do it right, you get, what is it, a code 200 or something like that, that basically says it's... Okay response. Yeah. Says it's accepted it. And then if you requested something back, it also gives you that thing that you actually wanted. So for me, I don't ever mess with like actually making API calls the traditional way. Like like even now with what I know, the first thing I'll do is I'll pull up Zapier or Make and that's how I make my API calls because it's going to handle all the fiddly syntax that I will absolutely get wrong the correct way. So like these days, I mean, for most of our uses, you don't have to actually structure that request yourself. You're working with an app that simplifies that for you and tells you, here's the few bits that I actually need. I'm going to build that request for you, ping the right service, and I'll tell you what they say back. I got into a couple situations where, you know, maybe three to six months after getting introduced to it and starting to play pretty deep, you do get to a point where you're a little frustrated. Maybe one, because the app doesn't show up in Zapier. It doesn't show up in Integra Matter Make, but it's got this great API page. And you're like, ugh, if I could just get at that. So I think I was forced into learning how to make a call. Yeah. And I had no idea where to start. I went down YouTube rabbit holes, tried to read about it, and there's just always something stopping you, right? Whether it's a whole bunch of stuff that is around the authentication or it's to do with those responses <laughs> that you have to send back. It gets pretty complicated pretty quick. So what I ended up doing was hiring people off of Upwork and Fiverr to teach me. And these people just loved being able to get on and teach like the thing that they take for granted every day and us so green that we have no idea what we're doing. And inside of about three to $500 worth of sessions with maybe six different people, it started to kind of click. And I, th I still had no idea what I was doing, but they were able to build those connections into the tools for me. So then you start dissecting it yourself and then trying it. And you get to a place where if something doesn't have something you want inside of these UI tools like Zapier or Integramat, and the world's your oyster at that point. And to, like, to me, that's why this is such a big unlock is more and more of the systems we use every day are web-based, have APIs, and most of the problems we manage today are data problems. It's getting data from A to B, maybe applying some sort of logic in between. But fundamentally, what humans have to do still are the things that require a little bit of logic and then get the right bit of data from A to B. And learning how to do that yourself is, man, like what a powerful investment to make. Yeah. Can you imagine if they taught this to people in accounting school these days? Half the stuff that we do with spreadsheets would be done a whole lot differently. Yeah, you approach a problem a completely different way. And I mean, still in a perfect world, App A integrates with App B exactly the way that you want it. And all that data just flows back and forth and you don't have to fuss with it. And that's still the best case scenario. But everybody knows that oftentimes isn't the reality. So then the next step is to use an API connector tool like Zapier. And if you've dove into that very far, you know that very quickly when you're getting through there, oftentimes it's not going to have the exact fiddly little thing that you want. 
And I think most people right now don't realize those API connector tools, Zapier and Integromat or Make being the most prominent ones, that's the function that they're doing for you is they're connecting one API to another API. Most of them support a very, very, very small subset of what the entire API for that tool can do. So that's not a complete snapshot of what you can access for that tool, but a really kind of small subset. And once you learn to make your own API calls, the entirety of that API is opened up to you. Hit the nail on the head. I think there's a whole episode on things you can't do natively in Zapier that you wish you could do. Yeah. And what, what gets really interesting to me is bigger picture, the idea of publicly accessible APIs and what are the different ways that you can use those. So for example, weather APIs or postal APIs to like validate a street address. So I think we often think of it through the lens of what are the tools that we use and how do we use those APIs? But there's also a ton of just publicly available APIs that you can use to build whatever you want. Weather. Weather. Okay, so you've figured all this out, Chad. 99% of normal people have not figured this out. Fundamentally, I think we understand APIs now. Where do you start though? Like what, where, how do you stick a toe in the water and start? learning this and getting comfortable with it. I think to be comfortable, you change that number 99 down to like 60. <laughs> There's a lot to learn, holy cow. Yeah. But I started asking really easy questions on YouTube. And after about three or four hours of you know getting a little bit deeper into what you can do, you tend to start with Zapier. I think it's just so easy to set up an account, try the free account, get a couple connections in, see them start to connect. They make it so easy to make that first zap, they call it. And once you start looking at different ways in which you can connect and the data that you can get in there, your mind just starts racing with what's possible. And then you start hitting those walls. And once you start hitting the walls, that's when you start trying new tools. And it gets pretty interesting from there. How do you make a custom API call on Zapier? What is that called? Do you remember? Good question, Jason. It's called webhooks. So in Zapier, you've got a trigger and you've got an action. The trigger will be to use a webhook and then you'll watch either for a get or a post from that. And then if you need to do something and call another service as part of an action inside of Zapier, so say you want to send something to some custom place, then you'd use the webhooks by Zapier and then under the action say, I'd like to post something somewhere. Now, if you were to get some information from things that don't exist in Zapier natively, what are some examples of some some sort of public APIs you can use to get that. So if you Google, even just Google public APIs, there's all sorts of like lists, databases of, here's a whole bunch of APIs that you can use. They're free of charge. Let's see. Okay, I'm at applist.fun. That's a website. We have got a meme API, generate memes with a single link, cocktail database, over a thousand cocktails. We've got a Lord of the Rings API. What do we see here? What does this actually give you? Uh, the books, movie trilogy, characters, quotes. Why does this need to be a thing? The one API to rule them all is what it says here. A little on the nose. I found one called the Kanye Rest API. <laughs> Kanye Rest. <laughs> Sends you random Kanye West quotes. Okay, we've got a dogs API based on the Stanford dogs data set. We've got one called Ageify. Ageify tries to predict your age based on your name. That's amazing. Is this where we pause the recording and make an API call to see how old your name is versus mine? Dude, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Okay, while you're doing this, I'm going to look at some other APIs here. Let's see, we've got a feng shui API. 
lets you enter your name and the name of your partner slash lover slash crush to find love compatibility and chances of a successful love relationship. Well, we've got the next thing to try after the Age of Fi API call. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's pause it here for a second. I'm just trying to put the URL in for the Age of Fi one. Mm -hmm. Let's run it. See what happens. All right. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it actually worked. Okay, Jason. I went into Integromat and did a HTTP request to the Ageify API. Okay. I put in api.ageify.io forward slash question mark name equals Jason. And to be clear, we did this in Integromat because we weren't smart enough to figure it out in Zapier. A hundred percent. But this is our podcast, so continue. Jason, according to Ageify, you are a 53-year-old. What? Mm-hmm. 53 years How old. How many 53-year-old Jasons do you know? Get out of here. I can't think of anybody Jason over 40. Doing Chad. It's not going to come back with an age. It's going to come back with Californian surfer bum and a horrible person. That's got to be younger. 44. 44. Wow. Less than 53. What are the young names then? Oh, it's got to be like, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. No, that's smart. Okay, Jason, I ran Kanye REST API. Okay. And it came back with my memories are from the future. So all it is is Kanye quotes. Yeah, I'm going to run it again. Five seconds. There you go. I am one of the most famous people on the planet. Okay. Next. Pulling up in my May bike. I think we've, uh, we're done with the Kanye REST API. Like Maybach or it literally says bike? Pulling up in the May bike. Oh, Okay, so like a super cool bike or something? Interesting. People way cooler than me understand that. So Jason, there's another API called boardapi.com. And if you type in boardapi.com slash API slash activity, it'll give you an activity based on the number of participants that you want to put in the activity. So I put one and it says you should mow your neighbor's lawn. Okay. Put in two is compliment someone twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. Uh, we're not going to get a better place to end than that. That's how you end the episode. Compliment somebody twice. <laughs> oh, brother. Come talk automation with us on Twitter at Chad Davis and JStatsCPA. J-S-T-A-A-T-S-C-P-A and C-H-A-D-D-A-Single-V-I-S. Automation Town is edited by Paul O'Mara. 